Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, in a speech to Dutch Parliament, the Prime Minister says disinformation is a threat to democracy. Our generation faces real challenges, rising populism and extremism, a more unpredictable world, workers losing their jobs to automation, wildfires laying waste to entire towns and sea levels creeping up on entire countries. Conservative MPs maintain their stance of fighting against vaccine mandates in the House of Commons. I think that we need to be clear. I think that we need to be very clear that we are still opposed to Justin Trudeau's uh, mandate without reasonable accommodations for people who are unable to be vaccinated. That needs to be very clear in, in everything that we say. Uh, that needs to be clear as it was during the election. Weeks after she announced she would step down, Green Party members are voting on Annamie Paul's leadership. I just asked myself whether this is um, something that I wanted to continue, whether I was willing to continue to put up with uh, the attacks I knew would be coming, um, whether to continue to have to fight and struggle uh, just to fulfill my democratically elected role as leader of this party. It's Friday, October 29th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Toronto Star national columnist Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. The Prime Minister has already given a speech today in the Netherlands. As we speak, it's early in the morning in Canada, but uh, of course later in the day in Europe. Uh, and he spoke about disinformation being a threat to democracy and to the global economy. So, um, so tell me more about what the Prime Minister had to say this morning. Yeah, it was an interesting, um, an interesting speech. He talked about how conspiracy theorists and marginalized and um, angry people online, that that's not just what we should be worried about, but we should be worried about state actors too. It kind of made me think of um, some of the comments that he made in the lead up to the 2019 election, where people were worried that what we'd seen in the U.S. election when Donald Trump was elected would happen in Canada. So he talked about disinformation and propaganda and cyber warfare that would not just harm um, the election process like uh, in our democracies, but harm uh, our economies as well. And then what was interesting is there was like a question an answer period from Dutch parliamentarians. And a lot of the questions are actually one of the questions specifically related to China. And um, that's probably the most that we've heard so far. The Prime Minister talked about China, uh, basically saying that uh, China is too big a player um, for the world to withdraw entirely from, uh, that we can't just ignore it, uh, and that we have to keep playing this delicate dance, uh, he suggested by trying to prod China to work constructively with the West on trade and climate change while also condemning its behavior on human rights with regards to the Uyghurs and Hong Kong and the situation in the South China Sea and Taiwan. So um, clearly uh, we are not the only people worried about China's growing influence. Clearly Mm -hmm. we're not. Um, And maybe that's an indication of more things to come from the new foreign affairs minister, Minani Jodi. Mm, yeah. Um, and of course, there's a lot going on in Europe. The The prime minister is on his way to Rome next. And uh, Christia mm-hmm. Freeland is going to Italy as well for a, a gathering of G20 finance ministers and health ministers. So there'll be there'll be lots of uh, interesting uh, developments from that, I'm sure, over the course of the next couple of days. 
Um, closer to home, Althea, um, the conservatives are, are still talking about fighting vaccination mandates in the House of Commons. And the Senate announced yesterday that uh, for anybody who's attending Senate meetings in person for senators, uh, they will have to be fully vaccinated. And it doesn't seem like, at least in the early hours of that uh, proclamation, that there's been any pushback about that. No, it doesn't. Uh, the Speaker of the Senate, George Fury, basically, um, I think there were negotiations behind the scenes to get everybody on board, but uh, issued a statement saying that uh, any senators who show up in person will have to be doubly vaccinated. Um, the Senate is, at least for the moment, it seems to be keeping its hybrid um, sessions. So perhaps there's an out for unvaccinated senators, but you have to think that most senators actually are vaccinated. I actually don't know of any senator that isn't. Senators tend to be a little bit older. Um, the question of whether senator staff, however, should be vaccinated, that's something that we don't have an answer on yet. And their version of the Board of Internal Economy, the Senate Committee on Internal uh administration will be dealing with that issue once the Senate resumes. So still a question mark about um, all the staff with yeah. regards to the upper chamber. Okay. All right, let's turn to the Green Party because Annamie Paul has said she is stepping down as the leader of the party, but Green Party members are still going to vote on her leadership. What's going on there? Well, in part, this is a process that... Um, had to unfold, but probably would have stopped unfolding had Annamie Paul actually resigned, stepped aside uh, from the duties after publicly announcing her intention to do so. Um, she hasn't formally resigned. She is still fighting the party over the terms of her severance. Um, we're told that this is because she wants to be financially compensated for um, basically suing the federal council. Um, over whether or not they had the right to try to push her out, um, as you recall, earlier in the summer. Um, the members are being asked to vote electronically. So uh, by now, every member of the Green Party should have received an email with the code. And basically what the, the, the question, the ballot question asks, and what members are told is that Annamie Paul must receive 60% in order to remain in her position. Otherwise, immediately, a interim leader is going to be appointed, and then a leadership race has to be launched within the first six months of the appointment of that interim leader. They have six to 24 months to, um, to have that leadership race. So the question is basically, do you endorse Annamie Paul as leader of the Green Party? Yes, no, or abstain? And we'll have those results next month. Yeah, um, and 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 then I guess there will be lots of questions about where the Green Party goes from there, right? I mean, they're in so much trouble. They're, they've already laid off 11 people financially. They've been struggling over the past year. Um, Elizabeth May is still, you know, steering the ship in the House of Commons. She's the parliamentary leader. Um, it, it's it's almost like they're the Greens will have to. Um, well, they'll have a lot of, of things to sort out amongst themselves. And I think if the last leadership race was an indication, there are very different views within the party of where they want to see their party go. There is a very militant wing of the party that wants to take a more activist agenda, um, a social democrat activist agenda as well, not just on the climate question. And then you have green members that are more like 
um, Elizabeth May that were more like Enemy Paul than more like Glenn Murray, who also ran for the leadership last time, um, who are more centrist candidates, if you wish, uh, in, in their view of where they want to see the party go and tackle some issues. Um, so it, it will be very interesting to see um, where the Greens end up positioning themselves and, and what happens in the interim. Yeah. All right. The Conservative Party is calling on the Ethics Commissioner, Mario Dion, to investigate whether the Prime Minister violated the Conflict of Interest Act because his mother spoke at an event that was organized by a group that has uh, received funding from the federal government. So uh, tell us more about that. Well, this is an interesting story. It's from uh, CTV News that first broke this, so kudos to them. Um, basically, a Toronto not-for-profit called Elevate was given $5.8 million from the federal government to help job seekers from underrepresented communities find work. And Margaret Trudeau spoke to them, but spoke at a, an event called Think 2030 and Elevate, um, the staff there, say that that had nothing to do with the federal funding that they received. These are like kind of two different things. But uh, the Conservatives are writing to Mahu Dion, the ethics commissioner, to say, hey, you know, uh, you have looked into the We Charity thing uh, once when uh, Mr. Dion actually found that there had been no conflict. But uh, we think that you should be poking around this as well, this Think series, where um, Margaret Trudeau spoke earlier this month on October 14th. So they're suggesting that uh, the Prime Minister basically is advancing his mother's private interest by directing money to the organization. Like, I don't know. I'd be very surprised if the Prime Minister had any indication that this not-for-profit was being given uh, this amount of money. Um, that's not usually the kind of nitty gritty details the prime minister's office gets into, but you never know. Um, so the, the conservatives are, I guess, starting off the post-election season with a bang, uh, on, um, scandals, uh, ethics, accountability, the things that they, um, have been hammering, frankly, the liberals on for the past few years. So, um, Somewhat not surprising, but um, good on them to be trying to change the channel because I'm sure they internally and caucus, they're very tired of just talking about vaccination. So this gives them something a little bit more meaty to chew on. Yeah. All right. Uh, Today is an important deadline for the government uh, related to uh, the appeals that it has mounted um, uh, after a tribunal ordered uh, the government to pay $40,000 each to indigenous children um so what are you hearing about where where what the government's feelings are on this uh, because there there have been a lot of calls for the government to to drop its appeals yeah i would say this is probably the most significant story of the day and uh thus far this week we've not been given any indication of where the government wants to go the government is trying really hard to stress the point that it doesn't disagree with the community Canadian Human Rights Tribunal finding that it needs to compensate Indigenous children and their families. So um, at the heart of the issue was this $40,000 payment that would go uh, to many, including the estates of children who were children once, who are no longer with us. Um, They want to stress that that is they're, they're not fighting the kids, they're not fighting the money, but they want to fight the process. So basically there were two decisions that were made one of them has the government concerned that basically 
going through the Kane Human Rights Tribunal would be the way uh, that class action lawsuits are settled. Um, and that this seems to have the government's lawyers highly concerned. And that's what they want, one of the questions they seem to want um, the court to resolve. Um, they were unsuccessful when they tried to go to the federal court. The court actually said, you know, that they did not think that the Kean Human Rights Tribunal had erred in any way that uh, seemed to be in proper order and reasonable. Um, so we'll see where things go. There's there's two questions, of course, uh, two rulings. One was on the expansion of the Jordan Principle, where, you know, Ottawa was told uh, you can't fight between jurisdiction when the health of a child is at stake. Ottawa should just pay the bill. Um, and then that compensation decision. So it will be very interesting to see if yeah. kind of legal precedent is said, set or if they decide that, you know, they're kind of the... the the way this this case has been framed in the public is that it's very important for reconciliation that the government stop fighting this. And so will they take that cue? Right. We'll see. It'll be interesting. I'm, yeah. It's not, I'm sure, the, the case they would want to start the session with in terms of, like, setting the tone for two new um, cabinet ministers and their new portfolios. Right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that plays into that decision as well. All right, Althea. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Mark. You too. That's Toronto Star national columnist Althea Raj. The concerns that Premier Kenny has highlighted on equalization, he was part of the very government that negotiated and put in place the actual equalization formula that is there now. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In The Conversation... Jared Wesley considers Alberta's attempt to reopen Canada's constitution. Wesley writes, The events surrounding the Alberta referendum cast doubt on both the clarity of the question and the level of public support. And Jason Kenney's own comments undermine the premise that he is seeking constitutional reform in the first place, as he has neither the mandate nor the intent to convene a constitutional conference, the rest of Canada should reject the Premier's invitation. By the Alberta government's own standards, the results of their equalization referendum failed to meet the criteria necessary to bring premiers and the prime minister to the table. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues the cabinet shuffle shows Justin Trudeau is serious about fighting climate change. Wacom writes, Appointing a former Greenpeace activist to be the new environment minister and the former environment minister to be the new minister of natural resources ties federal energy projects directly into the government's climate change agenda. The Liberals have been dab hands when it comes to saying what they should do to curb global warming. They've been less successful in the doing of it. This shuffle is supposed to change all of that. We shall see if it does. At iPolitics, Darren Touch argues Canada shouldn't tie its China policy to the United States. Touch writes... A return to the status quo with either China or the U.S. would be reckless. The last few years have illustrated that both countries operate in a manner that places their interests first. Because the U.S. is Canada's most important diplomatic, economic, and defense partner, cooperating with Washington will be instinctive. But Canada shouldn't tie its China policy to the U.S. because Ottawa's relationship with Beijing is fundamentally different from Washington's. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend several events in the Netherlands. He'll make an address to parliamentarians, 
take part in a roundtable discussion on climate leadership, and meet with the Prime Minister. He will then depart for Rome, Italy. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will arrive in Rome for the G20 Joint Finance and Health Ministers meeting, and Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau will speak with the media ahead of COP26. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, October 29th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.